Welcome to The Grafters Podcast. Brought to you by Reanimate Performance and the Heavy Metal Strength Coach. Hi guys, welcome to another episode of the Grafters Podcast. I am the Heavy Metal Strength Coach, and today I am joined by Jason Lenatz. Jason, have I got that second name correct? I know you must get asked this all the time. No, I, you 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 nailed it. You know, it's a I, I joke. It's the Dutch curse. It's um, it definitely once you see the double vowels, it's kind of a dead giveaway. And I think that there's only about seven or eight of us in America. Everyone else is in Holland. So so yeah, but you nailed it. Yeah, I've um, I think I was after a compliment there because I've been practicing all day trying to get that one correct. I've listened to so many podcasts just to hear you say the name, and then I was hoping to nail it. So we got there. Uh, no, you got it. Something that I often um, don't like on podcasts is when someone just says "introduce yourself" um, at someone. So I I cobble together um, a little intro for someone, um, and then if there's anything that I get wrong, please let me know. Okay. Sure. Um, so, Jason, you are the owner of Revolution Fitness and Therapy since 2009. You yeah. are the podcast host of Revolutionary You Podcast. You are a published author. You are a proud father. And to me, you seem to be a interesting exercise connoisseur. Have I got that about right? Man, I, I, I mean, you, you nailed a lot of it. An, an interesting exercise connoisseur. I, I don't know I've ever been described that way, but I'll try to live up to it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, Jason, I would just would love to get into the background um, of you um, as a coach, as a gym owner, and as a podcast host. So um, where did your journey with fitness start? And it's up to you how far back you want to go with this, how much detail you want to give, and then we'll go from that. Sure. So I'll try to, I, I, I still have not found the perfect Reader's Digest version of this. So I'll try to do a quick one. And, and if we need to, to go further into detail, we can because it's, uh, it's colorful to say the least. But to, to start somewhat safely, I, I actually thought that for many years, I was going to you know, rule the world with a, a guitar and a microphone. I was uh, in bands and writing songs and was really into you know, music and that kind of thing. And I realized that my, my taste of living, the things that I wanted to have in my life, um, they, they cost a lot more than what being a musician can often afford you. So uh, there was always a backup of, oh, I've got to have a full-time job. And so um, I, because of, you know, sort of the, the, the stigma of songwriters and the, the quote-unquote tortured artist syndrome, um, I fell deep into drug addiction for about 10 years. And somewhere along the way with drugs, I actually sort of accidentally fell into fitness. And that looked a little something like this. I happened to be on a, a cocktail of drugs one evening and made the mistake of looking in the mirror. And, uh, and it, didn't, it didn't look very good. The reflection wasn't so impressive. And so I thought maybe, maybe I should lift some weights. Maybe I need to do something with my physique. And I'm a pretty small frame guy to begin with. Um, I was even smaller back then. And so I, uh, I started getting into lifting weights. And because I was already small framed, um, there were people that were asking me for fitness advice, thinking that, you know, I just had the solution to being uh, lean. I think a lot of it was just, you know, frankly, genetics. And of course, you know, when you're doing a lot of drugs, what you're not doing a lot of in, in comparison is eating. And so, you know, it started with fitness. And then a couple years later, I'm still doing drugs, but I'm starting to eat a little bit better. And then a little bit later, it's like, maybe I should actually get off the drugs. So that was a, that, that was a 10 year journey to be able to get to the point where I cleaned up and um, I've been clean from drugs since 2006. And um, one of the things that I uh, got involved in is uh, as I mentioned, I always had a full-time job and most of that was in the, the retail industry. So I, you know, manage different, uh, different businesses, clothing and music and all sorts of things like that. And I got a part-time job at a gym um, back in 2007, 2008, I, yeah, 2007. And um, I didn't like how manipulative all of the, the sales tactics tactics were. Uh, you know, when, when you think of a box gym, there's a lot of strong arming and trying to get people to sign on the dotted line right then and there. And I didn't like that. And I realized that because I was still giving fitness advice, I thought maybe, 
maybe I need to get into personal training. And so I spoke to the head trainer at that gym and I said, you know, what are my options for getting certified? And he gave me some options. So I got certified at the end of 2007 and uh, sort of a perfect storm of events happened in my life, uh, both personally and professionally, that put me in a position where I could actually open up a facility of my own. So unlike a lot of other trainers, I didn't really spend a lot of time learning from people who'd been doing it longer than me. I basically sort of threw myself to the wolves and, uh, and opened this business in the spring of 2009. And, um, and that's, that is sort of the origin of that particular story. So. That's amazing. So I find it really interesting that you were able to maintain jobs and still be working in the um, depths of drug addiction. Would you say there's um, more people out there that are, that are doing that than people will often realize? In what respect? Um, in that people are addicted to drugs and still are able to look to everyone else like they're functioning, like they're still able to make a living and to make ends meet, whereas um, behind the scenes, it's actually utter chaos. Oh, that's a, that's a great question. So, uh, you know, obviously I can only speak for myself and, yes. you know, with, uh, with drugs, um, it, you know, it started off, it was kind of like the thing that you do after work and the thing you do on your days off and the things you do on the weekends, you know, when you're not having to say run a business. And then as my tolerance grew over those years, it got to the point where um, I could somewhat functionally uh, be under the influence of drugs and still, you know, work a job. And, you know, uh, not that this is something that everybody thinks about, um, but, you know, one example might be, and, and I think about this just because I was actually talking to a client about this band today, but I don't know if you remember the um, colossal meltdown that Billy Joe Armstrong from Green Day had a handful of years ago, yeah. uh, where he just had a complete meltdown at the iHeartRadio Festival. Yeah. And, you know, come to find out, uh, he had a pretty severe uh, addiction to, um, to prescription pills, and he was a a very functional alcoholic. And when you hear about, you know, just the copious amounts of those things that he was taking and for how many years he was taking them, you know, you just sort of look at it and go, my God, how are you even able to play a two hour set? You know, you know, however many nights that they do a tour on. And, uh, and so I think depending on the person, um, yeah, you can sort of hide a lot of those demons and, and still seem like you're a pretty functional adult when actually there's actually, you know, there's, there's significantly more dysfunction happening behind the scenes. Yeah, that's, that, that's a really um, interesting um, perspective. When you first entered a gym, um, coming out, um, just getting clean and you were just starting to lift weights, can you remember why essentially you were lifting weights? Did you have a goal in mind or was it literally to do something else just to take your mind off it? You know, I, initially I think it was just aesthetics. You know, it's like I wanted, I wanted to look better. Um, and it wasn't so much, oh, I want to gain, you know, 20, 30 pounds of muscle. I, I'm certain at times I've had those goals, but it was never it was never super motivating. It was just um, I'm the kind of person who I really appreciate what exercise does for the human body, but I try very carefully not to overhype it um, because I think that exercise can also be one of those things that if you're not careful, you, become, you can become addicted to it. Certainly something that we uh, sometimes have to temper in our own clients because um, I think a lot of people have what we might consider, uh, say, addictive personalities. And so if you let them run things to extremes, uh, they will. And sometimes it's about, it's about learning how to sort of pull them back to go, hey, you know, you still have to live a life too. Um, so for me, exercise was just something that it was like, I like how I feel when I'm done. And I don't totally hate my reflection in the mirror. And that's a pretty good place to be. So for me, it was never really a goal of uh, I want to be a competitive powerlifter or I want to be a physique competitor. Um, didn't even really want to be on the cover of a magazine. I just wanted to, you know, be able to step out of the shower and go, I, I'm, I'm okay with this. Um, so, so that's kind of where it was personally for me. I think a lot of personal trainers, a lot of coaches will come into it the, the opposite. They'll want people to look a certain way, to lift a certain amount of weights. And I was certainly like that. Like I started as a bodybuilder and um, went through competing in that. And now I'm a powerlifter. And now it's coming to 
promoting lifelong lifting it's about maintaining habits and things like that whereas you seem to have been able to come at it from the other side like you were able to um, view health and balance and um, just feeling good for moving your body right from the uh, right from the start and I think um, that must have been very evident and that must have um, transferred over to the initial clients that you had would you agree with that? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, my gosh, I think the way you just said it was probably better than I could say it. Um, it's one of those things where when I started the business, so I started this business at the age of 30, 33 years old. And, you know, at that point, a lot of the, the people that I know in the industry, they've already got, you know, damn near a decade of experience under their belt. And I didn't, my experience was in a totally different industry. Yeah. And so I had to find a way um, to have some common ground with my you know, preferred demographic, and that's general population, um, generally weight loss clients. Well, I'm five foot nine, and on most days, I weigh about 135 pounds. Um, I'm a little dude, and you, know, you follow me on Instagram, the, the somewhat snarky hashtag I use is skinny bastard, because I, <laughs> you, know, you, got, you, you, got to, you got to know, where you're, you know what you're working with. And so for me, it was, okay, well, if I want to attract a weight loss client, and I want them to trust that you know I can I can get them where they need to be. Um, then really the conversation to have is about change because I don't need someone else to be you know a recovering drug addict to know what it's like to have lived that life. But everyone is looking for change, and it doesn't matter if you're you know like you said it doesn't matter if you're a bodybuilder or aspiring bodybuilder or a powerlifter. Um, you start off weaker than you want to be or in some cases smaller than you want to be, and you have to change that. Well, that requires things in your life to also change. Well, I actually had pretty intimate you know, experience with that, and you know, it's an ever-evolving process. You know, we, we start to talk about things happening on a spectrum. Well, for all the things that I've survived and accomplished in my life, my life is still very far from perfect. And there's still a lot of things that I'm still trying to flesh out and get right, and you know, as we're recording this, I'm 44 years old, I still feel like I've got a whole lot more learning to do. So. Yeah, all the time. And that must be where the, um, the podcast comes in as well. You must learn something every single week when someone comes on there. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I, I mean, you, you are obviously already experiencing it. You know, I, just the fact that I got to kind of scroll through your, um, your roster of guests so far and two people who I hold in extremely high regard, Dr. Lisa Lewis and her husband, Tony Genelcore, who've both been on your show. Um, just two of the nicest people in the industry and, and they share such very uh, different perspectives in terms of uh, really the human experience around um, around exercise. But yeah, the show has been such a labor of love for me because as I mentioned, you know, with starting this business, not having the mentors that a lot of other people might have access to, the mentors became the people that I saw on social media. And so, you know, I have to think back to the people who were, you know, popular big names back in say 2009, 2010 and so on. And I had, when I first got the inkling to do a podcast, uh, it was actually by listening to another podcast and sort of being tipped off about, you know, hey, here's how to do it if you have an interest. And I thought, okay, well, the barrier to entry is relatively low. Um, it's a way for me to connect with the people who I find inspiring in the industry. And I mean, I, we're about to release, let's see, just before I got on this episode, I was, I was editing um, the, our, our next episode um, that's coming out on my show. So we're somewhere in 250, 255 episodes that I've released. And every single time I learn something new. So that's, I mean, that's the beauty of it. And I still just kind of marvel at the fact that, my God, this is free information. Um, yeah. So that's just a, it's a beautiful thing. One of the really interesting things for me was when I first was talking about setting this podcast up, I thought it would be incredibly difficult to get guests on. And yes, sometimes like the scheduling um, issues and everything like that. But the overwhelming response has just been to get someone on, you simply ask them, and then they say yes, and then we do a time from there. Have you noticed the same thing that people just want to share and they want to be mentors and for anyone out there that's wanting to get something like this going, just do it and ask politely and then it'll go from there. 100%, I mean, I could probably count on, my God, maybe one hand all the times I've been told no. And, uh, and, and so the number is small and I've had my podcast now for about four years. Um, there, there are some people, and I'll, I'll say this just because I, you know, I, I, I may have a slightly different 
sort of tailored approach to the way I do my show, but, um, and this is something that you may, may find over time with yours, but um, sometimes for me, because I, I do bring on a lot of guests who've written books, um, authors can sometimes be difficult guests to nail down. Um, and I'm not entirely sure why it may just be because they need different outlets to be able to promote their work. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there are, there are some people that I reach out to who are just, they are incredibly busy and a podcast is not really high on their, their list of priorities for things that they want to do to take up their time um, because of how busy they are. But like I said, that number is small. The yeah. other thing that I've noticed that's been of interest is uh, because the podcast has been around for a while, um, I do get um, emails from time to time from people uh, that are sort of, uh, they're the middleman for a potential guest. And sometimes I have to be particular about the people that I bring on because, you know, when you've had a show for about four years, your audience, your dedicated audience, um, they tune in for a reason. And if you start to deviate too far from that, um, they'll let you know. And, and I, think that's, I think that's pretty interesting. And so there are certain pockets of, say, the health and wellness industry that I have to be very careful um, uh, very careful with if I decide to bring on those guests because they, they will sort of fall to that uh, that that one side of of said spectrum where it's like I don't know that my audience is really going to embrace this one and so it makes my job as a host a little bit more difficult so sometimes it's just easier just to say I'm sorry this is really not the best fit for me at this time so yeah well I I started the podcast and I used to write down every single question that I was going to ask the guest and I think this really um reached its zenith when I had Dean Somerset on it was an episode that I was incredibly nervous about and Dean was absolutely great on the episode he, he gave some wonderful answers but what I found was because I'd already written the questions down um, as he was talking I found that I was looking at the questions and not actually listening to his response so it yes. just completely <laughs> changed the flow of the episode and made it so much worse than it could have been and I apologize to Dean for that. <laughs> well I've I've met Dean uh in in person he uh, sadly and, and then I this the, the fault is all on mine for this um Dean is actually one person who has not been on my show and, I, and it's he he remains on a list it's like I've got to reach out to Dean and have him on the show um but to your point, when I started my show as well, I did have questions written down. And, and exactly what you said, I found that I was so focused on asking those questions that I didn't just let the show have its own particular flow. And I remember somewhat early on, um, I had had a, a couple of guests. It was uh, Stephen Ledbetter and Omar Ghanai from what was formerly Habitry. And, um, and they had had... Uh, requested that we make it just freestyle like let's just talk and I was terribly nervous but it was it was the most fun I'd had on a show up to that point and I thought okay this is the way I'm going to do it from now on and so normally that gives me uh, enough of a platform to just have a good you know sort of free-flowing conversation and just let it you know see where it takes us yeah. do you still get nervous before episodes um, I get nervous with certain guests and I don't exactly know why it's not like a male female thing. It's not even um, so much a degree of popularity per se. It's sometimes just my belief about a certain individual. Um, I'll think about, well, one in particular, um, and, and this has been a little while since it was this way for this person, but I remember when I wanted to have Mark Fisher on my show, yeah. and I think it was because I was so blown away by what he had done with his business, and Mark was on my show probably two or three years ago, and I don't know what it was. It For me, it was almost like asking a musician to come on my show. I was just like, I was nervous about asking. I was nervous about having him on the show, and if you've ever, you know, if, if you've ever really taken in much of Mark's content, Mark's one of the most engaged people that you could really ask to be around and and we had a, a fantastic conversation um, and and just you know it was one of those things where it's like wow I don't even know what I was worried about but some people too um, I found that sometimes during the correspondence uh, whether that be email or Facebook Messenger however you're reaching out sometimes things get lost in translation and I think that sometimes it may set sort of the wrong um, uh, impression up about um, really the angle that you're going to take on the conversation. And so I think sometimes uh, certain guests may feel like they need to be on their, uh, you know, on, on the offensive. 
And it's like, no, we're just, you know, I want to promote your work. I like what you're doing. Let's bring you on. Let's have a good time and, and let's, uh, let's share it out with the world. So, I mean, that's really the, the, the perspective I've always taken with it. So. Yeah. And um, listening to your podcast was one of the things that made me think, yes, this is another podcast where they're not trying to call people out. They're not trying to necessarily um, debate scientific topics. They're trying to celebrate the coach. They're trying to celebrate the method behind the coach or the, or the professional that you've got on there. Because I realized that I, I'm not a good arguer. I'm not someone that can call someone out with a million different scientific um, citations and things like that so to hear a podcast very similar to yours where you were just presenting the person and their message um, and celebrating it was something that was wonderful to hear well and and i, I appreciate that it, it's actually something that um uh somewhat jokingly when i had a oh let me think about this so it would have been my 200th episode uh lee peel turned the tables on me and interviewed me for that particular episode and that was one of the things that she sort of brought up um towards the end of the episode is she said you know i i, I listened to a lot of podcasts and i have tuned into yours a lot and she said but you know do you ever do you ever think that you'll get to a point where you're gonna really let more of your opinion go and i you know i said to her and i'd say it to you now because i don't know that so much has particularly changed um, the show was never really about, you know, my quote unquote expert opinion. It was about mm -hmm. learning what I could from others because, you know, I'll kind of lean back to what I was saying a moment ago. Even if there's a guest who maybe they're the things that they're teaching, I'm not completely aligned with, there's something to learn. And so I'm there to learn. And, and, and it could be like the smallest little nugget of, of a line that you hear and you're like, I really like the way you said that. I think I'm going to use that the next time I have a client going through XYZ problem. And so that's really just the approach that I try to take is what can I learn? How can I have fun? And how can I just continue to build uh, you know, a, a network? And that's really, I mean, when you can, I, I think, when you can do it from that perspective, I think it just, it, it leaves you feeling better coming out of it as opposed to going, yeah, I think you're wrong. And let me see if I can you know, one, uh, one up you on this. Yeah, I think I, I like the fact that I'm nervous as well when I come on to these episodes because um, if one the person that I'm speaking to can calm me down, it's almost like I'm in the shoes of someone walking into their gym for the very first time. I'm I'm nervous. I don't know what they're going to say. I don't know what they're going to think of me. And if they can calm me down, I'm thinking these guys are going to be a really good coach if they can do that. Yeah, yeah. No, I totally agree. Um, it's, it's one of the, so in fact, um, that takes me, because I wasn't even meant to ask about the podcast just yet, but that's fine. <laughs> um, it's all good. This is free flowing. So a lot of your clients, are they introduced to lifting weights for the first time via your services? No. Um, I would say the vast majority of people that come to me have at least you know, it's not their first rodeo, as we say. So they probably lifted weights before, um, but the way that was done may be different than the way that we do it and not different bad, but just, you know, if I, if I look at it like this, if you look at the way that say someone might lift weights in a boot camp type environment, um, that's typically going to be somebody who's going to do a lot of volume at work, which forces them to use a lighter weight, which is fine if there is a particular goal that, you know, lends itself to that type of training. Um, we don't do that style of training here. Um, I like to see people get stronger and that does not necessarily equate to powerlifting. but if we can get somebody to do the big lifts and their body um, adapts to them well, then we continue to, uh, to push that and really flesh it out. And for some people, they can get strong without them. Some people, you know, as I'm sure you know, there are some people who are actually quite good at those lifts, but they just don't enjoy them. And so, you know, you don't want to force it on people, but it's just trying to find what seems to be a good marriage of all of those things and go, okay, well, um, if the goal is to get you stronger and feeling better and not just completely annihilate you when you're in the gym, how do we do that? And so that's really been, I'd say, our focus for, um, for, the, for the vast majority of the time that we've been in business. Um, so I know that you do some online stuff and I know it's a pandemic at the moment, so we can't do um, any one-to-one -one personal training, but how much of that will you do? How much in-person training are you doing at the moment? Um, well, when business is running normally. Yeah, sure. So, so let me give you sort of frame of reference. So historically, 
um, I, I operate 90 to 95% of my business is face-to-face. -face. And we, we do a style of semi-private personal training that looks sort of like this. Um, and we'll talk pre-pandemic because post-pandemic, it's going to look um, somewhat similar. And I can give some details about that in a moment. Um, but pre-pandemic, uh, we have two training blocks, essentially. So we get started training at 530 in the morning. And, uh, and we go until about 10.30, 11 o'clock in the morning, and then we shut operations down until about 2.30. We fire it back up and we go from about 2.30 to 6. And that's basically Monday through Friday with a couple of hours on Saturday. So within that 5.30 to say 11 a.m. block, um, people will come in for their scheduled sessions. And let's just say five people come in at 6.30. Um, that's five clients who are working five plans that are individual to them so it's not five people squatting all at the same time it's five yeah. people who are working their thing and so you know it's normally myself and another trainer who are trying to just make sure that everybody has what they need um they're spotted if they need to be spotted but it's basically just saying hey uh you know chris uh, um, you're going to go over there grab the 20 pounds i need you to do three sets of 12 front curls and uh and and hey you know i uh, susie i want you to go over there i want you to do um you know three sets of eight lunges just body weight and, uh, and that's where we'll start. And so it's just trying to keep that flow going. Um, and so that's what it was like uh, pre-pandemic. Now, what's interesting, and I know that everyone is being uh, affected by the pandemic in different ways in terms of what they're going to be allowed to do. Um, we have been given, the state of Ohio has given the green light for gyms to reopen on May 26th. Yes. And so because of the way that my facility is set up, I have about 3,000 square feet of space and it is a lot of room for people to be able to spread out. And if we just kind of take the general feel of the way that we do our training, it's very easy for us to socially distance. Mm -hmm. And so for us, really the, the big change is going to be we're doing a lot more cleaning. We, you know, we're doing a lot more cleaning of every piece of equipment that's being touched, every bench, um, all of that stuff. Everybody's going to be washing their hands, all that kind of thing. Um, but the way that we typically schedule people, it would be we would really have to do something pretty obnoxious with the scheduling to not be able to adhere to the social distancing protocols. So yeah. I would say that by and large, we probably came out of this slightly unscathed where a lot of other fitness facilities I think are going to have a much bigger challenge trying to uh, reopen and acclimate to these new guidelines uh, specific to our state. Yeah, I, I think a lot of personal trainers are going to struggle with the transition back into a gym. And just speaking about that a little bit, um, have you guys been doing any video calls, any video personal training or video semi-private, anything like that? Yeah, so this is, this is one of the things that I think has been the most uh, fascinating to see and, and not always in the best ways. So if you had asked me pre-pandemic, if I had clients that you know, were forced into online training, what would they most respond to? I would probably have told you most of them will do online coaching. And what I mean by that is, it, you know, we will get on a Zoom call and maybe it will be, you know, coach to trainer or coach, uh, I'm sorry, coach to client or coach to three clients and basically get, you know, a something like that going where we're, you know, facilitating the training with what they have access to at home. But when all of this stuff was really starting to come to a head and we had already been uh, uh, asked to shut our business down, um, I put out a poll in one of our closed communities and I said, okay, y'all, um, here are the options that we have available to us. You, um, please let me know which of this you would be most interested in doing. We were already doing daily workouts. So we would, we would upload a, a short video of like body weight or resistance band workouts um, that were things that you know, people with minimal equipment could do at home. We could do personalized workouts for those who had access to more equipment at home. So they would have something that's a little bit closer to what they would get from here. Um, did they want coaching calls where it was just more of a, a of a conversation point and a touch point where we could just kind of catch up and make sure that you know where where we need to be with diet and just mindset and all that stuff or do you want to do some kind of actual online training session and the vast majority of the people just wanted the daily workout and the personalized workout they did not want coaching calls 
And I was, I was pretty shocked about that. Um, so it was, a, it was a tough thing to acclimate to because it really left me with a lot more time on my hands than what I was used to. And I realized very quickly, my God, I've wrapped a lot of my self-worth into the, um, the flow of this business. So if the business is doing great, you know, my mindset's great, but if the business is struggling and through the pandemic, we, you know, we, we did struggle, uh, then I struggled you know, as a person. And so that was a, it was, it was a bitter pill to swallow and I'm glad I didn't have to swallow it for long. Yeah. Um, I think in, in Britain, um, a lot of personal trainers will be, um, and I won't go into the exact specifics, but um, there was some help available for the government and it's very difficult to get it if you haven't claimed the right amount of tax in the last few years or if there was, if you haven't been um, employed for very long. Um, now what I found, I think a lot of PTs will, will struggle when we come back, but hopefully, Hopefully, people such as myself will be able to help them out and we'll be able to get this back to where it was before the pandemic very soon. In terms of clients, I noticed a lot of people suddenly felt self-conscious around me because they're on a call um, rather than in person. And that was something that I never even considered until I was forced to have video calls with everyone. And it's one of those things where it took them a couple of calls. And then I started to realize that the first 15 minutes um, were far more important when we were catching up, when we were just, just chatting and seeing a different face. Um, and even though a lot of the people were similar to your clients saying that they just wanted the coaching, it kind of evolved into more talking and just seeing a different face. I don't know if you found the similar um, thing going on. Um, slightly. So one of the things that happened was uh, a couple things, actually, there was in that first week, I called all of my clients and, and I just said, you know, what, what can I do? How can I help? And, and I think I was really running on a lot of adrenaline those first couple or those, those last couple weeks of March, just trying to make sure that everyone was taken care of and that everyone had been contacted. Um, what I found was that calls were fine, but FaceTime was better. So if I could actually get the person where I could see them, it was, it was better for both of us. And not everybody obviously took me up on that. But the other thing that we started to do somewhat early on that I'm really glad we did it because it just, it was somewhat, um, uh, for lack of a better term, somewhat restorative, um, was we did a, a virtual happy hour on Saturday nights and we did a virtual coffee hour on Sunday mornings. Oh, that's and a great idea. Well, and it was one of those things where it was like, at first it was like, uh, uh, and you'll have to forgive me because my, my memory is probably going to fade a little bit, but I want to say that first weekend I said, you know, let's do a virtual happy hour. And we had, um, you know, we had a lot of clients show up for that. And it was literally just an hour. It was like, let's just, let's set it for six o'clock at night because you're probably going to be having a drink anyway. So let's have it together. Let's just shoot the shit. And, and just, you know, have fun, see each other's faces because we haven't seen each other in a while. And then the next weekend, I said, let's do a coffee hour because some of my clients are actually in recovery, so they don't drink. And I didn't want them to feel left out. So I thought, okay, well, if we do a coffee hour, um, then maybe some of these folks can come in that maybe uh, did not feel included uh, because of uh, something that was more um, motivated by alcohol. And then it became the kind of thing where it's like, well, what the hell else do we have going on? Let's just do happy hour and coffee hour. And so as the, the month of April, and certainly as we got into May, as they went on, um, the numbers started to trickle down, but it was still really nice to do it because it was just kind of one of those things that you like, you know, you have it to look forward to. And, uh, and, and so I'm glad that we uh, were able to make that happen. Do you think there'll be any um, things that you've implemented during the pandemic that you'll be keeping on um, afterwards? Well, to that point, um, it's one of the, it's something that a couple of my clients actually mentioned that, you know, as we start to prepare for having things, um, you know, reopened, uh, I do think that probably, you know, one of those two, maybe not both, but trying to keep one of the virtual um, meetups uh, still active will probably be good because you know we're not quite at a point where we can say walk into a coffee shop and sit down together but i think ultimately that's a goal that some of the clients actually have is you know this has been pretty nice and when it's possible it would be nice to go somewhere and five or six of us just you know sit down and grab a cup of coffee or tea or or, or whatnot um and and just you know do something that doesn't require conversations about calories and conversations about sets and reps 
Yeah, I, I think this has very much brought home to me just how important the social aspect of the gym is. Now, I'm someone that's trained in their bedroom since they were 12 because I was a lonely kid. Um, so it was always, I've been training in lockdown since, you know, 1995. Sure. <laughs> whereas a lot of, like, I remember training on Christmas Day one day. I know. Yeah. Anyway. Um, whereas <laughs> a lot of people, they, they are kept um, going to the gym because of the other people that they see. So the idea of doing a virtual meetup, I've just like underlined that and written it down in my notebook so many times that I <laughs> something that I need to do. And I think I'd encourage other PTs and coaches listening to do something like that because that interaction um, and keeping that normalcy is so, so important for people's routine. Well, yeah, and it, it is one of those things too where in a sort of uh, uh, drastic measures call for drastic solutions and not that there's anything drastic about a virtual meetup, but it was one of those things where it's like, okay, well, we have never done this before, so let's just try it because the worst that happens is nobody shows up. And that first happy hour that we did, I think 25 or 26 of my clients showed up. I mean, it, it was, a, it, it was, and I say this lovingly, it was too many people because you had so many people talking at one time and it became difficult for people to be able to kind of uh, allow themselves to be heard. And as time went on and then the group started to kind of die closer to that, say five to eight people, that was a lot more comfortable because then you saw people each sort of getting their time to, to talk and, um, you know, be heard and, and that kind of thing. So that was, um, that was a pretty cool thing to see. Yeah. Um, so I'd like to transition back towards um, semi-private PT, um, if that's okay. And when I started doing semi-private PT about um, four or five years ago, I struggled with the transition from one-to-one to, -one to semi-private. I, I thought people weren't getting um, the attention that they deserved. I didn't think they were going to get the same results. Um, and then things started to get better. Um, did you have a similar transition where um, you were unsure or did you know from the off um, that this was the right thing to do? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So I, I'm always... I try to be very mindful to say this. A lot of the way that my business evolved was very, uh, very much a reaction to what was happening. So I never really had a set design for this is the way my business should operate. Um, when I had, you know, when I started this business, I didn't know anyone. So, you know, when you only have one or two clients, you know, hey, that's that's one on one because it's all that you've got. Um, as you start to grow, excuse me, as, as I began to grow, what would happen was I would get, say, four people that walked in at four o'clock. And the funny thing about that, and I'm sure you can relate to this, is sometimes those four people that come in at four o'clock, they were actually scheduled for 3.30, or maybe they were scheduled for 4.30, and they happen to either be late or they happen to be early. Yeah. And everyone needs to be taken care of. So we tried um, some circuit-based training uh, with, with, with varied results. And so we tried it and was like, okay, well, that's, that's kind of cool, but it felt like it had a ceiling to it. Um, and, you know, it's, it's sort of hard to quantify, did I get someone stronger? And not that that's the goal for everyone, but for a lot of my clients, it's, you know, did, did I just show up and just flail around or did I show up and get something accomplished? And that, you know, everyone has different goals. So we have to be mindful of that. But as we got busier and busier, it became the kind of thing where it was like, okay, as the coach, I need data. Um, I need to be able to look back and go, okay, if, um, if, you know, Susie is not seeing great results um, and let's just say Susie's a weight loss client, where, where do we have a silver lining? Did Susie get stronger? Um, or has Susie sort of maintained at the same, um, same strength level? Why did that happen? Um, how is that being reflected by the way that Susie eats? And sort of looking at sort of a, you know, more of a, of a big picture approach to how it's all happening. And not that everything always works in harmony together. Sometimes people get stronger and they can't pay attention to their diet. And sometimes, you know, people can get all the pieces to fit at the same time. But semi-private was basically, it was the reaction to just simply getting busier. And right now, um, I've got about, and I've been sitting around this number for quite some time, so I, I reference it a lot, but I've got about 90 clients. And that's a lot of clients to see in a, in a given week. Um, so we have to be semi-private. And pre-pandemic, I would see sometimes like between 5.30 and 7 in the morning, I would see you know 10 to 15 clients at that time. So we are hopping 
in this place. And it's, I mean, it's, it's amazing because it flows really, really fast, but it's like, wow, this is uh, this is nuts. So. Um, how do you deal with taking 90 people's problems home with you? What, what helps you do that? <laughs> what, what, what remotely keeps you sane? <laughs> I'm not sane. I won't even pretend yeah. that I am. It's, um, and, it, and I like that you brought this up because um, there was a, a blog I released a couple weeks ago um, and I called it the damage leading the way. And I have found over time that a lot of the really great coaches that I know, not all of them, but a lot of the really great coaches that I know suffer from something. Um, they suffer with uh, addictive behaviors. They suffer with depression. They suffer with anxiety. Um, they uh, struggle with thoughts of suicide. And these are people that are tremendous coaches to their clients, mm -hmm. but they, they leave it all out for their clients. And then when they go home, they sort of fall to pieces. And I think it can be really difficult to, as you say, take the problems of 90, you know, 90 some people and not have it affect you. And it's something that has actually led me back into therapy because it's one of those things where, and I actually said this in the article, um, it can be very easy to keep yourself busy, um, but being busy doesn't solve your problems. It just solves the problem of being busy um, or it, sol it sol solves a boredom problem, I should say. Um, and I'm never bored. But there have been a lot of things that, you know, when you sort of look back at the trajectory trajectory of my life, um, yes, I've been able to solve certain problems, but I haven't been able to solve all of them. And so, you know, for me, it can be it can be pretty taxing. And it's one of those things that I've been pretty open about, uh, you know, on my show and and when I've been asked on it, you know, as, uh, in your case, to be a guest on someone else's show, yeah. um, that for me, it does affect my personal life. It does, uh, it has affected my marriage um, in, in, at different points um, throughout the time that I've, that I've been married, but to my wife. And so it, it's one of those things where uh, I'm driven, uh, how, how should I say this? I, I am driven by a um, by a force, for lack of a better term, yeah. that says you you have to do enough good to balance the bad. And I've done a lot of bad in my life. Um, I've done a lot of bad things to good people in my life, and especially during the time that I was doing drugs, because it's such a very selfish behavior that you get caught up in, yeah. and. Um, and so a lot of people get hurt. And so, you know, I wake up every day and I'm like, well, how can I do enough good today? And sometimes you end up overcompensating uh, with the good that you do and things tend to slip through the cracks. And so when I got back into therapy, it was one of those things where it was like, okay, um, I'm noticing things slipping through the cracks again. And I need to be mindful of this because, you know, as you said, it's not just my marriage, it's my boys as well. And making sure that I've got something to give to them. So what I find and you know you'll you'll read about this sometimes in certain books i think the best way i've ever heard it is you've got buckets in your life and it's difficult to keep every bucket full without them overflowing um or the way that i tend to say it is you can't keep every plate spinning before one of them breaks so it, it is one of those things where i do have to be very mindful of where am i putting my time and when am i getting rest and uh you know am i taking care of myself um because when i don't um, that's when things tend to go wrong. How important would you say it is to be um, to be vulnerable um, in and honest to your clients and to talk openly about this kind of thing? Mm, that's a that's a really great question. So I'll share with you something that I had heard from a very dear friend of mine, who's someone that I uh, very much look up to um, uh, locally. He's also a business owner. Um, he knew a little bit of my backstory and. Um, he saw that I was kind of putting some things out there about being, you know, a recovering addict and stuff like that. And um, I, I'm also fairly open about the fact that I was sexually abused when I was a child. And I talk about those things because I realized that in a lot of ways, um, a lot of people in our position are not talking about them. And that's frustrating for me um, because I know that, I mean, obviously people should only talk about what they're comfortable talking about. Yes. But I also know that you have to remind yourself that you're still human that you're not a robot and that people don't pay you to be a robot by the same token they don't pay you to vomit all of your problems on them either so i think it's sort of a you know it's a balancing act of uh, i want to share enough that you feel like we have some similarities and that you know that i see you struggle and you see that i struggle and that makes it okay because we can both grow together um but it, it is one of those things where you know my my friend had said to me 
you know, be careful about what you share because it's kind of like the person who's a born again Christian. Sometimes you just don't want to hear them preaching. And I thought, okay, that's, that's a valid point. So good on the person for being the born again Christian, but don't get on your soapbox and look down your nose at me because I'm not one, for instance. Um, so for me, it's being mindful that, hey, even though I don't have a drug problem anymore, I still have problems. Okay, well, how can I meet my client, uh, you know, and, and sort of see things at their level to go, okay, I see that you're struggling with that food thing. Let me talk to you about how that relates to me. Um, because I've struggled with things in a similar way. Now, can I help you solve that food problem? And so that's, I think, where things can have sort of a, of a healthy dialogue. Um, but, I, but I will say I'm probably one of the more, I'm one of the more vocal coaches that I know um, that talks about this stuff. And another one that I'll, I'll, I want to give a, a very big shout out to uh, because he's been the same. Uh, if you don't already know him, Jay Ashman is another one who I give a immense uh, amount of uh, respect and love to um, because Jay's had a pretty colorful life too. And he's becoming a lot more vocal about sharing that stuff um, in his writing and with his clients. So um, I think it's good that it's, uh, that it's happening. I'll, um, I'll definitely check out his stuff. Something that I noticed when um, trying to um, both work on my own mental health and other people's mental health was um, guilt for struggling even though I had a good childhood and wasn't abused and was still struggling and I found um, a lot of I, I think it was particularly men at the time um, they were struggling and felt guilty because they were struggling because they hadn't had awful things um, happen to them I don't know if you've um, experienced um, similar in your own work yeah so I, it raises a really good point and you know, here's the thing to, to what you just said, my parents were absolutely wonderful people. Like, I mean, I, and as far as my actual upbringing, it was, it was quite good. Um, my, my parents both worked very hard to provide a good life for us. I'm an only child. And, um, and so a lot of the things that I've uh, done wrong in my life, they were not things that I saw happen in my family. That wasn't like I, you know, uh, there, were, there was a role model for bad behavior. Um, it was more sort of my reaction to, uh, or my inability to, to cope with the stresses that I had in my life and watching them manifest in, in unhealthy ways. Um, you know, one of the things that I've had to realize and certainly over the last year that I've been back in therapy is, you know, if I just take the the topic of sexual abuse um, and the things that my therapist has had me read related to those things is you always have to be very mindful that your pain is your pain. And you can read these horrible stories of people who had it, um, and I want to say this conservatively, they had far more damaging things happen or they had it happen over a prolonged amount of time where there was more actual wounding that was being done, whether that be a mental or physical. And it can be easy to, to take my trauma and go, but I didn't have it as bad as that person. And that's where you tend to fall in a little bit of trouble, but you, you still have struggles. So how do you handle the struggles? And so I think it's when you can sort of get out of that comparison, which you know runs uh, rampant in the, the health and wellness industry, whether it's, you know, God forbid Chris and I ever look at each other and go, yeah, but you're more successful than I am and I'm <laughs> jealous about that. Um, or, or you're prettier than I am or whatever the case is. You know, this is some of the dangers of social media is they can show us sort of a false sense of reality and it affects our clients, it affects us as coaches, and it's one of those things where if you don't curate the feed, you're probably going to find yourself measuring up to people that you really have no business measuring up to because you just don't know what their reality actually looks like. Yeah, and then I think I found that when I was um, a young coach, um, before I was with my, my partner now, and um, about 10, 12 years ago um, I, I probably became a coach to um, just be coaching all day and not have to deal with my own thoughts and I remember um, I used to have a day off and I'd try and find every single excuse just to keep working because I couldn't deal with my own thoughts and then eventually you burn out and then you're not providing the same service for your clients and you gradually have to learn to face those demons if you are going to help people. Um, so I remember learning and having to gradually get better at just being alone and having those days off in order to cope with training 50 to 90 people like you. 
Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it's interesting. I had a conversation on my show. Uh, actually, this, this is the episode that I'm going to be releasing uh, tomorrow. Um, and it's one of those things where the, the guest that I had on the show who, um, you know, I referenced a, um, the component of, but Michael Keeler, um, the, the other co-owner of Mark Fisher Fitness was, um, was the guest. And, you know, because we're still in this sort of these pandemic times, um, I was asking him, you know, personally, what are you doing to sort of take care of yourself? And he had referenced a book called Resonant Leadership, which I wrote down because I love to read. And this was obviously a book and a, and a topic that he was passionate about, but it's, it's, you know, being able to find the things, especially as coaches and as leaders, um, that you can do that give you a sense of renewal, um, give you a sense of sort of filling yourself back up because you do expend so much energy taking care of others. And, uh, and so, you know, it's one of those things that it's like, he told me the things that were important to him. And I certainly have the outlets that work for me. Um, but again, I, I can take my outlets to, to an extreme that become unhealthy. Uh, for instance, with reading, uh, I, I can read at such a pace that it almost gives me a buzz, which sounds kind of funny, but it almost kind of makes my head hum because I'm reading at just a, just a frantic pace, um, which generally means that my retention sucks. Uh, but that, that, that's, that's one of the, the, the drawbacks. But, you know, using the pandemic as a good example, I've been reading a lot and I've had to be very careful about the things that I read because I'm already stressed out enough. So for me lately, I've just been reading a lot of things that are related to music because it's something where I can let my mind kind of calm down and it's not work related. Yeah, like for, for me, the, the coping strategy, if I was to try and read um, fitness stuff um, just before I was to go to bed, for example, like I would not be sleeping a wink. I'd be thinking about um, one of the 50 people who's programmed this magical, like this Russian press up will, uh, will fit into. <laughs> I was listening to your Megan Calloway podcast the other day. Um, that was great, by the way. Thank uh, you. <laughs> I've kind of lost my train of thought here. But yeah. Uh, and. <laughs> Basically, yeah, so my, my brain would not switch off. So I have to, like I've been reading the Witcher series, but I was kind of the opposite to you. I, I kept beating myself up because I didn't read fast enough. So I thought, I would, let, let's let's learn how to speed read. And uh, I, I speed readed, speed read um, this psychology book. And I remember turning the last page, closing it and just thinking, I didn't remember a single thing in that. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, and, and that's, you know, I, I think back um, several years ago, actually, I had seen um, an article or something where uh, Pat Rigsby, and if you don't recognize the name, Pat is a, has been the owner of some fitness franchises and fitness organizations and now does uh, fitness business coaching. And I would say, I would give Pat the nod that he was doing fitness business coaching long before that was actually the kind of thing that someone would drop in your DMs about. Um, so, you know, he's, he's an OG. The guy's been around for a long time he's, and, he's, and he's good. But Pat had said, I read three books a week. And I thought, if a guy that's that busy can read three books a week, I don't have an excuse. I need to read three books a week. And so I gave myself that challenge um, one year where it's like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put myself to this. Now, it's a little bit tougher for me to do that these days, uh, but if I sort of balance short book with long book and things like that, and then mix in some audiobooks, there's ways to do it. But Chris, just like you, there's times that I put on an audiobook, I'm listening for 20 minutes and I'm like, I don't know one damn thing that I just heard. Yeah. Um, so then I have to ask myself, do I want to hit reverse or do I just want to just keep going and just see what I can soak up? And it's normally the, the, the latter that happens. Yeah, and did you find um, your, your coping strategies um, have evolved over time? So, for example, I used to hate days off um, and just avoid them at all costs to try and maintain some kind of balance. And now, just to maintain some balance, all I need to do is turn off my WhatsApp notifications later on. Um, have you found a similar progression? Oh, that's, a, that's actually a pretty loaded question for me. Is, I'm sorry. Um, no, no, no. It's, it's good. It's good because it makes me think. Um, so... For me, um, reading and music and playing guitar have always been generally stress relievers for me. Um, so they are ways that I can kind of recharge my batteries. And, you know, as I mentioned, with the, with the amount of clientele that we service typically, um, by time I, you know, close off a training block, I'm exhausted. 
And so I need a couple of hours to, you know, work out for a little bit, grab some lunch, um, edit a podcast, work on my next blog, things like that. So it's productive, but it's also somewhat restorative because it clears some of the chaos up in my head and there's constantly chaos in my head. Um, so it's, those are the things that I tend to do. Um, you know, I, I should tip my hat to you though, because I, I would say distancing self myself from my phone is something I need to practice more. Um, yeah, it was something I got off. I don't know if you've heard of a fitness professional called Brian Cran. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So he did a post about turning off um, all his phone notifications. Um, and that means that you only see messages when you want to see them. So I can turn like ones on if like, there's, there might be an emergency or whatever. Um, but that was the, the single best thing for my mindset, I think. I would see a WhatsApp message and know that I had one. Uh, and I didn't even know what the WhatsApp message even started with. I didn't know the first word. Um, but I would just assume like the worst would be happening. I wouldn't be able to sleep at all and have to check it. Uh, and then as soon as I turned off those notifications and I could go in when I wanted to go in, which is first thing on the morning now, that's my WhatsApp time. Um, and then I'll check it again later on. There was just this, this switch in mindset where I just got so much more um, energy and so much more ability to sleep. Now, there's, there's still issues and there's still times um, when that stuff goes wrong and when I'll check it just before I go to bed and I'll be like, oh, no, that's me not sleeping again. <laughs> yeah, if, again, if there's any coaches listening, that was one of the best things that I could do. Yeah, it's something where I don't remind myself enough that I need to put the phone away. And for me, I don't have a lot of notifications. That's actually something that I, I am good at disabling, but I, I do get in that 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 feedback loop of, you know, Facebook, Instagram, email, Facebook, Instagram, email. And it's like, nothing has happened since the last 30 seconds that you look, just put the fucking phone down. <laughs> yeah. And you, and you end up paying that much attention to everyone else that you almost forget to look after yourself. And I've noticed that with a lot of trainers and a lot of coaches. It, yeah, it's, it's, it's very true. And the thing is, is that I, it's sort of the, um, part of it's the monster I created. You know, I do a lot of, I do a lot of marketing on, on Facebook and I don't mean paid marketing, but I'm, you know, constantly posting things that relate to this business um, because it is the way that I try to stay top of mind and, and keep some kind of, um, you know, uh, point of contact out there on, on social media for people to go, Oh yeah, if I'm looking for a trainer, maybe I should try that guy. Um, so it's, it's one of those things where if that's where you put all of your time and effort into your advertising, guess where you're going to be checking to see what your analytics look like. So it, it's, uh, it, it is the, the, the bed that I, <laughs> that I made. Um, I'm just, I just need to check. It is five to the hour now. Have you got a, a session in five minutes or do you need to be, um, uh, on the uh, hour? I'm, I'm actually good on time. Fantastic. Um, okay, that's good. Um, a question that I just had went instantly out of my mind as soon as I asked that one, but never mind. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I, it'll, it'll come back to me at um, a certain point. Now, at this stage in the podcast, what I would like to do um, is I would like to ask you about the mentors that you've had um, in your life that you might like to give a shout out to you might just be um giving the names that you've given out earlier in the podcast as well but anyone that might not get a mention on social media ever um anyone that might not get that much attention who's been really important to your development as a coach and as a father and as a man and everything else yeah so let me that that's a that, that's a big one so um you know, I, I lost my dad in 2011 to a, a form of cancer called multiple myeloma, which is bone marrow cancer. Um, my father was and remains my hero. He's the greatest man I've ever known in my life. He is, he is the greatest man I will ever know in my life. And um, while it is damn near impossible for me to uh, fill his shoes uh, in any manner of speaking, um, he is someone that stays generally pretty top of mind for me in terms of um, are you making more of the right decisions as opposed to the wrong ones? Um, and for the record, I still make the wrong ones. But um, but my father is still essentially the my my, my true north. Um, as far as uh, uh, professionally, um, I, I give. Um, I'm going to shout out one person in particular, and that would be Lee Peel. Um, and the reason why is because I have followed Lee Peel's work for uh, for a long time, and I've always really admired the way that she um, expresses herself. And um, 
we, I, I became a part of her online community and, you know, there was a fair amount of dialogue and she's been a guest on my show many times, but Lee was someone who, uh, because she operates in a slightly different facet of our industry and she doesn't, you know, bombard social media with all of her thoughts and opinions and all that stuff. She, she hit me at kind of a, a uh, I want to say a vulnerable point, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but at a, at a vulnerable point professionally where she reached out and she said, you know, when you have time, I'd like to, to talk to you because I have some ideas that I'd like to share with you if you're open-minded to them. And we spoke um, at length uh, that day and she gave me so much amazing advice, um, which I think if you're a coach, you need people like this in your corner and I will give you the hint, often you don't have to pay for them. Not saying you would never have to pay for them because sometimes you do have to pay. Um, and I actually paid Eric Cressy for some, uh, some mentoring advice at one point. Um, and Eric's a phenomenal guy. Um, but Lee was someone who, this was kind of a, out of the kindness of her heart, uh, gave me advice that I really needed to hear. And, and she's someone that I just kind of keep in my back pocket to this day. So, you know, if you're a coach who's listening to this, um, find the people that you look up to and, and connect with them, you know, and, and, you know, it, it, it can be just something as simple as, Hey, we have similar taste in music or whatever. And I actually think that's how Lee and I first bonded online was, uh, we had a similar taste in music. Um, but these people can be actual crucial pieces in your development as a coach. And I've learned so much from her. So I would say on the personal level, my father, on the professional level, Lee Peel, I know that there's countless people that I could mention in between there, but there's, there's two of note. Um, that was an incredible answer. I absolutely loved listening to that. And I think I'm just about to start a new um, tradition on this podcast. I want to just ask you um, for two additions to my training playlist um, that you might have that might, might get me in the mood for a one rep max. Maybe it'll get me in the mood to get through an awful set of 10 or uh, one of your um, interesting exercises. You on the spot, I want two songs. Okay, so I, I mean, I know that your moniker is the heavy metal strength coach, but but give me give me something to work with. Like, if I were to ask you, like, top five bands, like, what are the bands that really like kind of get you going when you're like, when I'm going to the gym, if I listen to this group, this is something that's gonna really get me. Um, so for me, um, currently I've been listening to a Slayer esque thrash band called Witchery. Um, okay. So basically, yeah, that's the Slayer kind of style. Um, and then something a little bit more fun. Have you heard of Sabaton before? Say, say the name one more time. Uh, Sabaton. I've heard the name, but I cannot tell you that I've listened to their music. Um, so they're kind of like, um, they are, <laughs> I'd describe it as historical metal. Um, okay. So they basically sing about all sorts of historical battles um, in a really epic way. And they come on stage on like a tank and things. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, uh, and, they, and they like to, I mean, they, like, they sing from both sides of wars as well. And they've, they've got really cool lyrics and everything. So they often get me into, uh, into the mood to train. Okay. Who else? Um, oh, Let's see. A band called Aim on a Math. They are a Viking metal band. I don't know if you've heard of those guys. Okay. Um, so they basically, like at gigs, people pretend that they're in a giant longboat and all sit down and uh, row. Uh, I don't, that's called a rowing pit. Um, if you've ever that's amazing. Um, I mean, the, the whole reason that I'm um, called the heavy metal strength coach is because uh, we, <laughs> we went to a festival called Bloodstock where I got an entire um, tent of people doing a, a big rowing pit just to heavy metal karaoke, which again um, is a thing as well. Uh, and ever since then, I've loved listening to Aaron and Math to train as well. So I have a, I have a couple things for you and I want to make sure because I'm actually looking at this as we speak. Um, just to make sure that I can give you uh, albums as well. So um, High on Fire is a group uh, that I'd like you to check out. They have an album, their, their most recent one was called Electric Messiah. Um, so this was gonna be more along the, the lines of like doom metal and stoner metal. Wicked. Yeah, so I would check out that particular um, album. If you like it, you're probably gonna like all of their stuff. And there's another group that kind of falls like in a similar um, path. They're called Asthma Castle. Um, the album is called Mount Crushmore. And they're, 
<laughs> yeah, it, it's it, it's crazy. And so they, um, and I can send you links for these once we hop off the call, just so you can find out more about them and you know, purchase their stuff and stuff. Um, Mount Crushmore, so, that is yeah, Mount Crushmore. So they're they're also kind of that stoner metal, and it's funny, you know, I don't. I don't do drugs anymore, but there's something about stoner metal that just, I just, I just like it. I don't know what it is. Um, so they, they're like a sort of a cross between what you're going to hear with high on fire and you're going to hear like little elements of like Queens, of the stone age in there too. Oh, so it's a, uh, yeah. So, so there's, there's two for you to check out. Um, and I, and I, I, I'll beg your forgiveness because I, um, my, my metal days, I feel like I, I just didn't, they didn't all grow with me. You know, I listened to a lot more metal when I was younger. Now I listen to a lot more punk um, and post-punk and stuff like that. But um, those are two that I think you might you might dig on, and I'll be curious to hear what you think. Um, yeah, I've got a couple of um, Swedish punk bands that I'd love to um, to send over to you as well. There's a band called Kaval Attack. Um, okay. They're, they're great. I don't suppose you've heard of a, a band called Paradise Lost, have you? I have. Um, they're a band. That, they're, they're actually from the town that I'm from. Um, okay. they've just released an amazing album as well i'd highly recommend that one i will check it out i'll check yeah. it out wonderful all right jason i think that kind of brings us to um a natural conclusion to the episode thank you so much for coming on and um, so just before we sign off um, where can people find your stuff um, and how can they find out more information about you yeah. Uh, first off, just thank you so much for the time. This was a just a, a wonderful conversation. I really appreciate you uh, inviting me on. I hope your listeners uh, enjoy it. And um, de depending on how you want to um, uh, sort of take in the, the, the stuff that I'm putting out. Um, so if you want to read the stuff that I write, uh, there's a weekly blog and plus you'll get the updates for the podcast. Um, that's at jasonleanarts.com. And of course, if you can spell the name even better, but it's, uh, it's L-E-E-N-A-A-R-T-S. Um, if you want to see some of the things that the business is doing, that's revfittherapy.com. I'm always welcoming um, people to friend me on Facebook. Um, and I will always say, friend me, don't follow me because most of the stuff I share is on my private page, not on, on public wall. Um, and then of course, Instagram. So as long as you can spell the name, you can find me and, uh, and you know, yeah, check out the, the podcast, check out the books. And uh, I think that's about it. Uh, Jason Lenartz, thank you so much for joining us.